So as I said, Aaron is doing an intensive master's program, so he isn't here. So you get to hear me talk, which is fun because I don't get to preach that much. So it's kind of fun to do that. I mean, fun and terrifying both, right? They're all kind of in the same. But I really felt strongly about what I'm going to speak on. And if it sounds familiar, if any of you have read Pete Scazzarzo's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, this is one of the chapters in his book about grieving your limits and grieving losses. I know it sounds really exciting. I'm sure you're all very uplifted. But I think it's important that we address that because I wanted to preach about joy. And I kept telling God that, like, I'm going to preach about joy. It's a new year. And he was like, you need to preach about what we have to go through to get to joy. So I think it's really important that we address that, that we have limits, that we have losses, that there are things that we need to grieve. And there's a lot of good reasons why we need to go through that. And I'm going to address some of those. But I just wanted to talk about that. I'm going to read the lyrics of a song to you. And it probably should sound familiar to some of you. But first, I should probably pray. So I'm going to do that. Jesus, thank you so much that you give us joy. And thank you so much that you have blessed us with real emotions that we can express. And we can cry out to you. And we can lament. And you have given us limits so that we depend on you. So I just pray that you would help us to open our hearts to this message. And that you would allow us to really be able to see reflectively what's going on in our interior. You want real abundant life for us. And that means we get rid of pretense. So help us to let go of that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So you probably have heard these lyrics before. Smile though your heart is breaking. Sorry, aching. Smile even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. If you smile through your fear and sorrow, smile and maybe tomorrow, you'll see the sun come shining through for you. Light up your face with gladness. Hide every trace of sadness, although a tear may be ever so near. That's the time when you must keep on trying. Smile. What's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile. Now, that's lovely, right? But there is a message in that. I don't like it. And I actually like Nat King Cole a lot, and I love his songs. But there is something that our culture wants us to not address. They want to deny the space that we need to grieve. And they want us to pretend like we don't have limits and we can just push through them. Uh, That is in our culture a lot, right? Just keep moving forward. Accept no limits. If you're still breathing, you can keep going. Know your limits and then defy them. Uh, No. The Bible does not say that. But we like to pretend like Christian culture is somehow more adapted to some of these things. And it's not really true. Eva, can you go to my next slide? I haven't bought this, but I'm seriously considering it. Right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, God does strengthen you, but the context of that verse is not that. It's not he's going to give you the strength to push through. Paul was writing that in prison. He was, the rest of those verses talk about being content in all things, in poverty, in starvation. That's what that's about. But we love to slap things on that, right? Have you, have you been grieving or talking about something kind of hard and, man, some other Christian just has like, the pat answer. We like Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not to harm you. That is at the front end of 70 years of exile. 
It's not like, it's all going to work out and be great. It's like, well, you're here for 70 years. Settle in. It's discipline. But we love those verses, and I, and I think they have context and they have a good message. But we need to recognize there are just parts of loss and grief that we have to walk through. And God doesn't want us living in pretense, and he doesn't want us pretending, and we shouldn't. We're not made that way. That's not how we should live our lives. He has abundantly more for us. So we're going to take some time today um, to address our limits and grieve our losses. We're going to write a lament at the end of this, which I think is super healthy. If you've never done it, I have a little sheet. Most of you got that sheet at the end. If you haven't, there's some up here, but... Uh, I'm going to start with Ecclesiastes because I think that will sort of set us in the right tone. Ecclesiastes 3.1.8. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. I have kind of an interesting example. I think we all have an example in our lives of how our family of origin or maybe our culture sort of wanted us to work around grief and not address it and go through it. When I was a little girl, I was really close to my grandfather, my mom's dad. He was very affectionate. He gave me a lot of attention. I was the only girl in my family, and he saw that. He cuddled me a lot. He would play with me. He made quarters miraculously appear all over my body. It was like amazing. He was always handing me money. He loved giving me silver dollars and take me on walks. And I was really close to him. And then when I was 11, he got diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. No, sorry, that's my brother. <laughs> I'm mixing up my diseases with Lou Gehrig's disease. So he slowly just start, just started to deteriorate and we never addressed it. Like my mom told me about it and we had like a big get together with all of her family this summer before he died. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't really understand. And I wasn't, you know, and then I was 12 and it was a little more awkward. And so when he died, my mom came in and said, your grandpa died. I'm going to the funeral alone. That was it. There was, hey, I have this really sad thing to tell you. How are you? Zero processing because she didn't know how to process her own grief. I don't blame her for that. But we all have these stories where we get kind of smashed, especially as children, with these really awful things. And there's no one there to take us by the hand and say, this hurts. And so about six months later, I was taking a nap in my room. And my older brother came up. And my grandfather was really into duck hunting. And so I had this duck that was his that was like a, I think it was kind of like a jewelry box, so it was split in half, so if you pulled like the top half of the body open, but the bill stuck out, and he was trying to wake me up, and he turned really quickly out of my room, and he broke the head off of it. I hadn't cried for my grandfather that whole time, and when that happened, I just broke down. I just burst into tears. He meant a lot to me. He was one of the only men in my life that really affirmed me, and he was like, what did I do? And I then he recognized that that was my grandfather's, and he grabbed all the pieces and glued it back together for me. I still have it. Yeah, that's nice, Honora. But I've still never fully processed. I haven't processed those things, and I think that we need to recognize that there is really a lot of loss and grief that are keeping us from the way that God wants us to live. And so there are a lot of good reasons why I think we should address those. 
So moving through loss rather than around it keeps us humble. Proverbs 3.34 says, He mocks the proud mockers but gives grace to the humble. Don't you love being around humble people? It's just so refreshing, right? They just don't take you for granted. They're good listeners. And I really think that's a tribute to how well they are spending their time with God. They're processing things. And so when we know we have limits, we're pretty close to God, right? We know we're not God most of the time. Sometimes we still think we're God and we're trying to do things that are out of our strength. But I think it's important that we recognize those limits keep us humble. Moving through our loss and accepting our limits eliminates duality in our lives. I love this one. I hate it when I find duality in my life so much, so much, which means there's probably a lot of it in there. But we're not meant to live double lives. We're meant to address what's going on inside of us and live in the light. 1 John 1 through 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I'm not calling you liars, but I think it's important that we recognize God wants us in the light, and our emotions are part of us, and they're part of that, and it's healthy to admit that we have things that we need to mourn. It also matures us. Ephesians 4, 14 through 5 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people and their deceits, deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. When we surrender to God, we grow up. It's just part of the way it is, because his way is better than our way. His way is higher than our way. It also deepens our connection with Jesus, and I'm going to talk a little more about this next week. But death is kind of a thing we like to avoid in general, right? And we've all read that scripture about take up your cross, and that's a little uncomfortable. But there's no resurrection until there's death. You just can't put one before the other. You have to die to yourself. We have limits. There's only so much we can get done. There's only so many things we can do. And so when we connect our deaths, our little deaths, our limits, our disappointment, our loss with what Jesus did for us, that's the way that we get transformed. When we recognize that us slowly dying is him also dying, and we can relate our deaths to his, and we become closer with him. John 12, 24 says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We have to let go. It's going to happen one way or the other. And finally, and I'm going to talk about this too, it allows us to experience authentic, lasting peace and joy. So I want to hear from you guys a little bit. What are some of the things, just shout out like one or two word answers, what are some of the things that are keeping us from grieving our losses and accepting our limits? I have a list in case you don't. Fear. That's right. The unknown. Anyone else? Pride. Denial. I heard someone back there. Ego. Yes. 
So those are all really great answers. And I think the reason that we avoid that is we don't want to see those things, right? We just want to push them to the side. Addressing your limits and grieving losses for them allows you to address those things. Your fear, your pride, your denial. Those are the things that God really wants to uncover. It shows weakness. We are weak. Jesus told me that all this week. Every time I was like, I don't want to preach. I don't want to do this. And he was like, oh, you're weak. Surprise. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us. But what I love about Jesus is that when we tell him we're weak, his strength is right there. It's right there to shore us up if we admit we're weak. Now, if we're walking around saying we're fine, he's going to let us. We have to tap into that. I think, too, that, like I said in the example that I gave, is our culture and our family of origin are speaking, they're screaming at us to do something completely opposite. Die those little mini deaths. That's not a message that I got. It was hold on, hold on. My mother is very healthy. She eats really well. She's always exercised. From the, I, I mean, from the time I can remember, she would run these long races. And that was, like, her saying, like, I'm not... I'm not letting go. She recognizes that now, but I think we get a lot from our family of origins. So how do we typically deal with loss and accepting limits if we're not following Jesus? Again, just shout out some. How do you deal with it? If you're not really close to Jesus, what are some of the things you do to cope? Man up, yes. Or become a victim. Yeah. Retreat, isolate, yeah. Pretend. Yeah. Self-medicate. Yeah, that's a big one. So I have a little list. This is actually out of the um, Caserzo's book, and these are all the, kind of the same things you were saying. We deny. And around denial, I want to talk about family secrets just a little bit because I think we all have them in our family, and I think it's really important that we recognize if we haven't exposed those or at least dealt with them internally, it's going to cause a lot of problems, like a lot of problems. We're going to end up covering and feeling the weight of that our whole lives. We're going to pass down that kind of stuff to our kids. And so if you have some family secrets rolling around, even if you don't want to talk to someone about them, I really feel like this is a place to grieve your losses. It's real. We have stuff in there, and it's going to affect your kids, your grandkids. It's going to affect you. It's going to really be harmful. So I think there's something that will actually decay in there. And I really, we don't, we're just not meant to live in the darkness. We're not meant to keep secrets. Jesus is light. He is the light. We've got to come out. We can't deny those things. We like to minimize things, right? Like, oh, I'm just going to get through it. It's fine, you know, as your leg is like broken and you're bleeding out. It's fine. It's fine. We blame others, we blame ourselves, we rationalize, we give excuses, and we justify, we intellectualize. We love doing this as a culture, and we have so much information at our fingertips, right? So we're going to give lots of stats, and we're going to analyze things, and we're just going to make it go away. You know, I'm better off than other people. Look at this statistic about how many people are starving. Well, that's fine, but it's not the way we're meant to live. We like to distract ourselves. I think that's a big one, too. We change the subject. Oh, man, my family, they're so good at this. I went, like, how are you? How are you feeling? And they're like, how about those Broncos? And I'm like, oh. It's too, it's too close, right? 
Jesus is going to come close. It's scary, but he wants those things out of us. We sometimes become defensive, hostile, angry. We love using humor, too, when a threatening topic comes up, right? We'll just laugh it off. And then self-medicating, drugs, pornography, food, activities, work. We love staying busy, and those push us further outside of our limits. It's a cycle. So the results of this, when we do, when we are avoiding these and accepting, are really, I think the biggest piece is that we're made for connection, and we're made to not be separated from God and from each other. And so pretending, minimizing, denying, avoiding all of these things is going to further keep us away from each other and from God. We want to look like we have it all together. I want to look like that too. I do not have it all together. None of us do. And when we try to pretend like we don't, we're pushing God away. We don't want him to see what's going on in the exterior. We're pushing other people away. We're not showing our true emotions. And we're not made for that, people. We, we need each other, and we need God. And so we need to connect. I don't know how else to say it. It's so important. Oh. So um, in the book, Emotional Spirituality, he goes through Job. I don't love Job, so I'm not going to do that. But it is a good example of mourning. If you want to read it, crack that puppy open and spend six years analyzing it. He does a good job, but I'm going to look at the way that Jesus handled mourning. And, you know, the thing about the Gospels is there's just not a lot in there that we can really be like, oh, I see the person of Jesus so well. It's not like a fiction novel where you get a great character development in these really specific things. I do think God's character is in there, but it's, you got to kind of look for it. So I'm going to read out of John because I think there's a few things in here in John 11 that Jesus models about grieving and accepting limits. So this is about the death of Lazarus, which doesn't seem like a really mourning story because Lazarus, as we know, comes back from the dead. But it's interesting what Jesus does in this and how he addresses the loss and his own limits in this. So I'm going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read to 8. It's kind of long, but I think it's important that we read. And then I'll skip over to verse 17. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. You remember the story of Martha and Mary? Same people. The, this Mary, was, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now that doesn't seem like he's grieving. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he had been for two more days. He doesn't seem concerned. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. And then he addresses that. It is dangerous for him to go back. And then, so he kind of has a conversation around that and what he's going to do. He's hinting about getting Lazarus healed. But then they find, you know, out that Lazarus is dead. 
And then I'm going to pick up in verse 17. So he decides to go, and Lazarus has already been dead for four days. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she, sent out, she went out to him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into this world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, pulled her, Mary, her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had been meeting him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, Notice how quickly she got up. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he not, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So I think there's some confusing things, and I'm going to pick up in this story next week too because there is a resurrection in this, and I love that. But there are some steps that we can take around grieving our limits and losses. And Jesus does this. The first thing is, is to be aware of your emotions. Sorry, you just have to. I don't know what else to say. There's no real way around this, and it's not fun. And sometimes we have to take a lot of space and a lot of time to sit quietly and even figure out what they are. But Jesus didn't pretend that it wasn't sad. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to perform a miracle, and he still felt sad about it. He could have easily avoided those things, but he didn't. He wept. He cried for his friend, and he expressed them. The weeping, right? That's the best verse to memorize, right, in Sunday school because it's the shortest. Jesus wept. But I think it's so important and shows such an amazing picture of his human limits. He still had emotions that he couldn't shrug off, even though he knew that it was going to end well. And we have to do the same thing. We have to give ourselves permission to express our limits. And while we're in that stage of discomfort, we get to do something really fun. We get to wait. We get to wait. We get to resist the temptation of controlling this discomfort and getting out of it and making those split-second decisions. It's called birthing Ishmael's. Do you get the reference? I'm not waiting for God to make sure that I have a child. I'm going to take it upon myself and make it happen. How well does that work out? Nora shaking her head. It doesn't work out well. 
And Jesus waits too. He waits two days before he even leaves to go and see his friend. He surrendered to God's timing. Even Jesus is surrendered to God's will. That should be a big example to us. And the last thing is we need to learn to live with our limits. What are some of your limits that you are scared of embracing? That's a real question. You can shout out some answers. <laughs> Any limits you don't like to address? Ron, or sorry, Nora, what were you going to say? Can't be perfect. That's a good one. Where are you? Physical limits, yeah. Yeah, you just... Yeah, this is not something I should be doing. Yeah, that's good discernment. Ah, yeah. Time is a big one. Yeah. When is it? Oh. Right. Right, right, yeah, that's a good one. Anyone else? We have lots. The physical body is like the first on the list, right? Because we're all dying. Oh, that's so fun. (laughs) But it's just the truth. I said to Aaron the other day, you know, I feel like if God didn't make our bodies start to wear down, we would just worship them, right? We'd never know how to let go. It's a natural limit that God put in place for us. And we have to remember that Jesus had limits too. He chose to become a human with limits. Even he didn't heal everyone, right? He didn't overthrow a horrible government that was oppressing his people. He had limits. He had an idea of what he was going to do. He had to surrender to that. And he, I mean, he didn't even live that long. He didn't really like accomplish everything you would think, right? 30 is like a pretty short ministry window if you think about it. Our family of origin, we can't decide what culture we were born in, how many parents we had, if they're divorced, if we're adopted. Those are all things that we don't have control over. Our marital status, and I know that like this might be hard if you want to be married, but there's limits when you get married. Like There's just things you can't do, and there's limits if you're single. Either way, you can't control those things. We are smart, but we have limits on how smart we can be. We have talents and gifts. I'm not a painter and an acrobat and a welder and an academic genius. Like, I'm just not. I have a few talents. So do you. Jesus has all the gifts. But you just get a few. I'm sorry. Material wealth. I mean, unless there's someone that wants to tell me they're, like, getting this massive inheritance, we all have limits, right, to our wealth. Your raw material, which I think is really important. Your unique self, rather than your false self, but your unique self is just who you are, right? We have certain temperaments. We're really high energy or we're not. We're outgoing or we're introverted. And there's only so much we can do with what we have. We can't be something we're not. Your time, your work, your relationships, we don't have any perfect relationships. We don't. We have to rupture and repair over and over again and your spiritual understanding. You're just not gonna get to know it all. What Jesus is doing is still a mystery to us. So I'm gonna close with having you guys all write a lament, yay! I think it's really important that we 
address what we're doing. And I, so most of you have a sheet. Does anyone need a sheet? Will you hand out some? And Nora has some pens too. But a lament is a form of protest. It's a way to express our grief for or about something, and it's a way to process our emotions, and it's a place to kind of voice our confusion. There's lots of things in our lives that are confusing that we cannot see what God is doing. And so those are in your hand, and they're up there. So I'm going to actually read a lament that I wrote, and then Brian's going to play a song that's so good. And while you're sitting there, I don't, I mean, obviously it's going to take some time to write it. So I just want you to kind of narrow down the main points, right? What is it that you need to talk to God about? What do you need to address? Who he is is how you start. You address your complaint, your struggle, or your disappointments. If you don't have any disappointments, just ask me. I can help you with that. We need to ask him for help. What do you need God to do in the situation? Tell him where you're at and how he can meet you there, and then affirm who God is. What truths can, affir- can you affirm about God? What has your experience with God taught you that is true? You can recall back to a time that he came through for you, and then if you can, close with praise, gratefulness, or assurance of trust. So the lament that I wrote, I wrote this probably five years ago. And it's when a family in our lives ended up really uh, turning on us. We were really close to them, and they ended up leaving our church, leaving our life, and being very mean about it. And I was having a really hard time because right before that, God said, you are made to be loving and open. And I was like, oh, here's some people that I'll be loving and open with. No grief there. No loss there. It was painful. And my husband was very concerned I was going to revert back to self-protection, just like I had. And so one of the things that I was learning in that time was how to write a lament, and it actually really helped me process this. So I'm going to read you mine just to give you an example, and then I'll pray, and we can close. And then you're free to leave after the song is over and you've written some things down. But I do encourage you to write some things down. So my lament is called Breached Borders, a lament. You say you are God. You say you are my king, my help in times of trouble. You tell me your favor is upon me and that your deliverance is near. Your throne is established on justice, but opposition is on every side. How do I trade your ways for mine? My rescue is far off. You have called me to gentle dealings, only to have my friends turn foe. You told me to refer to you for my protection and to leave my heart open. But you left me exposed, my heart splintered by the very people you told me to love. I know your compassion is vast. My crown is real. My soul is safe. Your hands are not like those of men. They are neither calloused to my cause nor harsh to my wounds. My God, keep me in your high tower. Let your truth expose the slander against your daughter. Let your justice be swift and unquestionable. Let peace rule and reign in my mind. Bring wholeness to my ruptured spirit. Establish your protection around my breached borders. Then my joy will be a testament to your perfect ways. I will stand on the rock and reveal my whole heart in safety. I will weep with relief for the glorious and compassionate rulings of my king. I will speak of your loyalty, your perfection, your boundless love. Your name will reside on my lips. 
I will constantly be a witness to your unchanging character. My song to you will be unending. My daughter's daughters will know of the goodness and perfect righteousness of my Lord. I will trust in your ways with renewed perseverance. I will declare you king of my mended heart. Jesus, I thank you that we are not God. That you work in ways that we don't understand and we have limits that we don't like and we go through grief and loss that we don't want to, but that you are always working in that. I pray that you would help us to see the thing it is that we need to let go of, the thing that we need to grieve, the limit that we are trying to avoid and push through that's just not budging. I thank you that you've helped me work through some hard things in my life and that you have come out with me on the other side, not when I go around it, but when I go through it with you and address what's really happening. I pray that you would help everyone to sort of see what's going on in their hearts right now and to be able to write some things down and communicate that. I thank you for your love and that you're with us and that you're not judging us, but that you are very, very present in our weakness. In Jesus' name, amen.